The tour content from now through Lagwa Omer has been generously sponsored by Malki M. Thank you, Malki. June is less than a month away, which means that I'll soon be transitioning into summer writing mode with more Substack articles and fewer recorded shiurim. The bulk of these articles will remain free. However, if you would like to support my Torah and gain access to additional spicy written content, consider becoming a paid subscriber by going to rabbishneweis.substack.com and signing up today. Hello, I'm Rabbi Matt Schneeweiss, and this is the Stoic Jew Podcast, where we explore the relationship between Judaism and Stoicism. Uh, today, we have a special episode in honor of the federal holiday, Washington's birthday, uh, otherwise known as President's Day. Um, and uh, there's a question I've been meaning to look into for a while now. Uh, the question is the title of the episode. Was George Washington a Stoic? Um, I don't remember where I first heard this rumor, uh, but it struck me as strange because unlike uh, some of the other founding fathers, such as uh, Thomas Jefferson and John Adams and James Madison, um, uh, Washington was not a reader. <laughs> he did not really read many books. Um, and uh, and so it kind of struck me as weird that uh, that, you know, it, that the notion that he would study Stoicism. So I did some digging around and uh, lo and behold, I found this article uh, entitled The Stoicism of George Washington, um, written by Donald J. Robertson. And I want to read to you uh, just this uh, a couple of paragraphs here about Washington's Stoicism and then we'll uh, we'll analyze it. So. Uh, Robertson writes, George Washington, known for his exemplary self-discipline and mental composure, is a figure in whom many see the influence of Stoicism. Unlike some of the other founding fathers, he lacked a classical education. Nevertheless, according to Elliot Morrison's The Young Man Washington, published in 1932, Washington was indeed inspired by Stoic philosophy. Morrison attributed Washington's self-discipline to a philosophy of life acquired in his late teens from his friends, the Fairfaxes. The Fairfax family, although devout Christians, drew considerable inspiration from the writings of Plutarch, Marcus Aurelius, and other classical authors influenced by Stoicism. Although there's no evidence that Washington had studied the writings of ancient Stoics in great depth himself, Morrison argues that he clearly absorbed Stoic values early in his life from conversations with the Fairfaxes during his frequent visits to their Belvoir estate. However, Washington had read at least one book on Stoicism, Seneca's Morals by Way of Abstract, published in 1702, translated by Sir Roger Lestrange. It contains excerpts from Seneca's works of benefits, of a happy life, of anger, of clemency, and 28 of the epistles. Uh, those are the letters that we're doing right now. Uh, the mere chapter headings, Morrison says, are the moral axioms that Washington followed through life. <laughs> so uh, we're familiar with the term Roche Prakim, the heads of the chapters uh, in in you know Talmudic literature. Um, and it's funny because it turns out, yeah, George Washington did not study the works of the, of the Stoics, but he he took the chapter headings and then made those into moral axioms. And I found uh, I found a list of, of some of them. Here, here's just three of them, just to give you a flavor. Um, one of them says. He that would be happy must take an account of his time. Okay, so that's that's what we focused on last week. Another one says, Constancy of mind gives a man reputation and makes him happy in despite of all the misfortunes. Another one says, oh, you know what? I accidentally deleted the other one. All right, so you get the idea. Um, uh, one more excerpt here from this article. Uh, so Robertson says, Washington's favorite historical figure did indeed come to be the Roman Stoic hero, Cato the Younger, the subject of one of Plutarch's most memorable biographies. Cato had died opposing Julius Caesar in the Great Civil War that ended the Roman Republic. Washington adored Joseph Addison's play, Cato, A Tragedy, uh, 1712, which he read together with his, with his first love, Sally Fairfax. He quoted it in a letter to her and even wanted them to act together in, a, in private performances of it. Aw. <laughs> okay, so... Um, so in short, he was not a student of the Stoics, but he did read some excerpts and base his life on um, 
on or you know base a lot of his uh uh, his morals on on the chapter headings of of uh, of I guess an abridged uh, um, compilation of Seneca. Um, so the question is, uh, you know, reading the Stoics uh, or admiring the Stoics does not make you a Stoic. So the question is, was he actually a Stoic? Um, so it seems to be from uh, an account of his life, and I've only read one biography of him, uh, His Excellency uh, by Joseph J. Ellis. Seems like he really did embody these virtues. Um, but the interesting thing is that apparently it was not clear that, th that this came naturally to him. Um, and I want to read um, uh, from uh, Ellis's, uh, from the end of Ellis's biography when he's talking about the eulogies. Now, just a background here. Uh, Joseph Ellis set out to write this biography as a way to to try to get the actual facts on George Washington and to sift through all of the myth um, that that surrounds him. So um, seems to be a very credible author. You know, I've read two of his biographies already mm -hmm. or three of his books total. Um, and so this is a, just take this in the context of someone who was really trying to get at, at what the real Washington was as divorced from the myths. So um, this is what Ellis writes. He says, a second memorable eulogy, this one delivered by Governor Morris, made an intriguing connection between Washington's grasp of the dynamics of power and his grip on himself. Morris observed that Washington's legendary calmness and statue-like stolidity masked truly volcanic energies and emotions. Anyone who knew him could well testify, Morris claimed, that he was a man of, quote, tumultuous passions and could, quote, bear witness that his wrath was terrible. Intimate acquaintances felt the explosive energy lurking beneath the surface and, quote, have seen boiling in his bosom passions almost too mighty for man. In Morris's formulations, the potency of Washington's vaunted capacity for self-control derived from the virulence of the internal demons he had been required to master. The image of a volcanic Washington seething with barely contained emotions and ambitions flies in the face of conventional wisdom, which emphasizes the serenity of the man who would not be king. But no less a source than Gilbert Stuart, who brought uh, a trained artist's eye to the subject, confirmed the Morris assessment, quote, had he been born in the forest, Stuart observed while painting Washington, he would have been the fiercest man among the savage tribes. Of course, Morris's main point was that the passions that stirred Washington's soul required the creation of control mechanisms that, subsequent, that subsequently served the nation so well when, when Washington voluntarily stepped away from power, first in 1783 and then again in 1796. Morris was saying that his psychological struggle for self-control prepared Washington to perform the crowning political achievement of his career. What we might call Washington's internal muscularity is, of course, impossible to see, though Morris implied that it was just as impressive as his marvelous physique. We can only describe its visible manifestations. And on that score, there were five self-denying decisions that stood out. One, the rejection of his love for Sally Fairfax. Two, the adoption of a Fabian strategy against the British Army in 1777, despite his own aggressive instincts. Three, the symbolic surrender of his sword at Annapolis. Four, the refusal to serve a third term as president. And five, the dismemberment of his estate at his, in his will. While Morris's formulation focuses attention on what Washington was prepared to give up in each instance, we should also notice that all the surrenderers Sorry, all the surrenders paved the way to, to larger acquisitions, a greater fortune, victory in the war, and secular immortality. All the disciplined denials were also occasions to catch the next wave forward. Okay, so that's the end of the excerpt I wanted to read. So the thing that comes, the statement that comes to my mind when I read this description of Washington is, um, is Benzoma's statement in Perkeavos chapter 4, Mishnah, Mishnah 1, uh, Ezehu Gibor Hakovish Yitzro, who is mighty, one who conquers his inclination or subdues his inclination. Shenemar, uh, as it is stated in Mishlei, uh, 1630, what is it? 1632? I guess we'll find out. Um, 
Tov erachapaim migibor umoshel beruchah milochet ir. Better one who is slow to uh, one who is slow to anger is better than a mighty man, and one who controls his spirit is greater than a conqueror of a city. So, um, interesting thing here. Um, uh, interesting thing number one is it turns out George Washington not only uh, was uh, Kovish as Yitro. Not only was uh, he one who conquered his uh, his inclination, but he also conquered cities. You know, he was a uh, you know the the greatest general of the Revolutionary War. Uh, even though he made some, uh, uh, he had a, there was a learning curve, but um, but he was widely regarded you know for being a great general. Uh, but what interested me is you know that mission in Pirkei Avos uh, quotes a puzzle in Mishlei. Now Pirkei Avos is really for. Uh, ethical perfection, beyond the letter of the law. Uh, you know, like the Gemara says, one who wants to be a chassid, one who wants to be pious, should fulfill the the, the teachings of Avos. And my understanding of, of Pirkei Avos from teaching it for a long time is that it is geared towards people who are developing to become chassidim, to become people who go beyond the letter of the law. Mishle, on the other hand, uh, is is aimed at a much wider audience. And according to my understanding, Mishle, you know, I, I follow Sadigon's approach to Mishle as stated in his introduction. And Mishle is about how to make decisions in a manner that... Um, that is really self-serving, uh, that maximizes long-term pleasure and minimizes long-term pain or consequences. So the question is, what type of Kovish as Yitro was George Washington? What type of conqueror of his spirit was he? So Rabbeinu Yonah, on that puzzle in Mishle, differentiates between Erecha Paim, slowness to anger, and Moshe Barucha, one who conquers his spirit. So he says that um, one who's slow to anger means that you get angry but you make sure to not let the anger affect your uh, your decisions, and you delay taking revenge until you can calm down and do it in a way that will uh, will not bring harm to you, um, and that will be satisfying. Uh, and uh, whereas Moshe Barucho, one who conquers his spirit, is someone who has succeeded in removing his anger. So, based on this description from from Ellis, uh, from Joseph Ellis. Sounds like George Washington was not a Moshe Barucho. It sounds like he did not remove his anger, uh, but he he conquered it and he didn't let it get the best of him. And not only did he do that, but as Ellis mentioned at the end, uh, George Washington, you know, in in the five critical times that he he exercised, you know, extreme um, uh, extreme self control, uh, did so in ways that were calculated to. To give him the edge and to and to to progress him forward and to give him greater gains than he would have uh, otherwise, and so it seems like George Washington was a um, was a, uh, <laughs> a a stoic in practice in the sense that he was able to actually live by the teachings of of you know of maintaining this level of of you know, master of his own emotions and, and, uh, to not let them get the better of him. Um, again, this is a little bit speculative because we don't really have, unfortunately, we don't have uh, a lot of his, we don't have personal writings of George Washington that are anywhere near close to what we have from John Adams and Thomas Jefferson. Um, so we don't really have a real window into, into his internal world there. Um, but anyway, I thought that was interesting. Um, and, uh, I, I will add that, uh, you know, this is uh, it's Washington's birthday, but it is President's Day, and and I really did want to go into some of the um, the other uh, you know presidents and their relationships with stoicism. Like I read here that Teddy Roosevelt um, 
you know, uh, went exploring in the Amazon uh, for eight months after his presidency. And uh, according to this uh, this article I read, uh, he brought eight books with him. Uh, two of them were Marcus Release's Meditations and Epictetus's Enchiridion. Uh, Thomas Jefferson uh, definitely read the Stoics. And in fact, uh, he died reading, uh, or at least it was on his deathbed, uh, Seneca's uh, uh, a book by Seneca. Um, I, I'm not sure which of the books. Uh, presumably he was reading about dying. <laughs> um, but anyway, maybe we'll have to save that for another President's Day. Uh, that is it for today's episode. If you have uh, gained from what you've learned here today and would like to support my production of even more Torah content, please consider contributing to my Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Rabbi Schneeweiss. Link is in the description. Um, and uh, like I've said before, you know, even $3 can go a long way. Uh, you know, um, it's, you know, every, every dollar counts and $3 is the minimal amount that, uh, Patreon says is effective for uh, a month, monthly contribution. So thank you to my listeners for listening. And thank you to my patrons for supporting my efforts to make Torah ideas available and accessible to everyone.